time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. Her name, X-20. Her type, an experimental interceptor. Recent history, a crash landing in the Mojave Desert after a 31-hour flight 900 miles into space. Incidental data, the ship with the men who flew her disappeared from the radar screen for 24 hours. Episode number 11 of the Twilight Zone uh, was And When the Sky Opened. And uh, Sean, it's the third part of the Doomed Guy is Really Nervous for 22 <laughs> Minutes trilogy of uh, Chance to Dream, Judgment Night, and, and this one. All in a row. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's getting back into space, so uh, you know I'm going to be a fan of it. <laughs> it's um, actually, it's not it's talking vaguely about space. It's not actually, uh, yeah, because because everything actually does happen on the ground, but uh, but they are astronauts. And oh yeah, it proves that again back in the late 1950s, as the Mercury program was starting to ramp up. They had some really weird ideas about what was going to happen when you went into space. <laughs> and all you had to wear to protect yourself was a uh, football helmet from the 40s. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's a thing that, that uh, goes throughout the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm still not sure how that happened. Although, in fairness, uh, Chuck Yeager did wear one of those when he <laughs> the sound barrier. So, if it's good enough know, for it's Chuck. Not, yeah, it, it's, not that, it's not that far out there. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I should take that back. At, at least he did in the right stuff. Yes, yes. Like, I, I don't know. I haven't seen footage of him actually breaking the sound barrier, but in the movie The Right Stuff, he wears one of those helmets. I've heard that's 100% fact, factually accurate. Um, the, the the movie or just the fact that he did that? Uh, let's say both. Okay, sure. <laughs> and uh, the title of the episode is a parody of a line from the children's nursery rhyme, rhyme Sing a Song of Sixpence. When the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? Interesting. So it's when the sky was opened instead of when the pie was opened. I did not make that connection at all. Uh, I didn't either. I had to read that one. Interesting. Uh, and it has uh, uh, this one has uh, Rod Taylor, who um, I don't know what uh, what you generally know him for, but uh, for me, it's the birds and the time machine. Yeah, the um, I knew he was in the birds, and there's been a couple a couple actors um, in this episode, and then can't remember if it's if it's what you need. Um, but there's there's a, a a lot of actors where it's just like their filmographies. You know, they they played a supporting actor in like literally a hundred films at the time. So. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, it was probably, you know, MGM, I, I believe, was uh, the, the studio that, that produced The Twilight Zone with, uh, with CBS. And it was probably just, you know, people who were under contract with them. Yeah. And so you, you had a lot of people doing recurring roles. And I, and I know that uh, as far as the stars of the episodes, you know, Serling had such a good reputation at the time that uh, people had a tendency to actually just want to work for him. Yeah, the um, my my theory is that MGM just had seventeen people on payroll, and they just said, "Hey, do this." Yeah, I, I think that's probably <laughs> not that inaccurate, <laughs> especially for people who had you know lesser roles in in, in an episode. Sure, and you got to think about the fact that uh, you know the Twilight Zone was an, antho- an 
an anthology series, which means you had to cast a lot of people, like a lot of unique people in each episode. And you're doing like, I mean, what season is it that has 40 episodes? (laughs) Well, the first one has 36. My God. They They worked hard back in the day. They, they did. Well, I, th- I think that it was probably something that was fairly unique to the Twilight Zone because, you know, there weren't a whole lot of sci-fi anthology series at the time. True. And, uh, yeah. So, so I, don't, I don't know. I'd, it would be interesting to look at uh, other, other shows that were airing at the same time and see if the, a season for them was actually like 36 episodes or if that was unique to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Uh, the ship they were flying was the X-20. And there actually was a program called the X-20. Oh. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie First Man. Um, no. with, uh, Neil Armstrong. But at the beginning, he's flying the X-15. And uh, that, that's a, a, a rocket that's actually dropped from a B-52, much the way uh, uh, the, the aforementioned Chuck Yeager uh, would have flown his things. But it was like the, you know, several generations later. And it was, a, it was a rocket plane that basically could get just outside of the atmosphere. It couldn't get into orbit, but it could get just outside the atmosphere. And the X-20 was actually going to be an orbital version of that. And it was going to launch on a Titan rocket and land on a runway. This is crazy. It was a joint project between the Air Force and NASA. Uh, but ultimately, it got abandoned before it flew because NASA and the Apollo program got all the money for anything space. So when I Google X-20, I see, is this the same thing as the Boeing X-20 dinosaur? That is exactly the same one, yes. As in dynamic soarer, D-Y-N-A. Oh, dinosaur. Oh, man. Yeah. See, see the Air Force was getting clever. So good. So good. Love it. Love um, everything about it. I think that actually would have been news at the time. So that, that's probably, you know, why they why they picked the name, because it sounds futuristic, but it was actually a thing that was going on at the time. <laughs> uh, and Neil Armstrong actually was originally going to be one of the pilots of that program. But then eventually when it got shut down, he went to NASA and uh, he, he did a couple decent things after that. It's very interesting to name something so futuristic to uh, futuristic, a dinosaur. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some uh, delightful whimsy on the part of NASA and the Air Force at the time. Not, not something you expect to see from them. It's true. All those, yeah. all those engineers. Uh, one thing I will say is that uh, uh, they mentioned that the flight went 900 miles into space, which is, is pretty high if you're going up into orbit. It's about twice as high as the Hubble Space Telescope, which oh, wow. is uh, pretty. So it's, it's up there. Uh, but, you know, that's in the ballpark. I'll give it to them. I um when I heard 900 miles I just assumed that was just like a random number but that's pretty high you know what I'm I'm going to give it to him as well Yeah you know it's it's high it's it's higher than we would uh, be be sending astronauts but it's close enough it's in the ballpark I'll give it to him It is it is funny though because you know when you hear 900 miles I mean the 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 feeling that you get from this is that they went to like the deepest, the deepest depths of space, like event horizon where like demons live and 900 miles just doesn't seem like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I will say that um, I don't know if it's because I've seen this episode, so I know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I had the same thought, uh, with this one that I had uh, with uh, perchance to dream of a few episodes ago where it seems like he's being really overly dramatic about all this. 
It is it, the um, uh, Harrington, the first guy that uh, disappears. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Like I, <laughs> he's being very dramatic. And the way I kind of saw that is if they, there's a really good opportunity. If they ever, if Jordan Peele remakes, this is um, <clears throat> like the, I think you can really do something with, you know, the first five minutes, the first third of the episode, whatever. It's so, it's so lighthearted. You know, they're joking around at the hospital and then two of them go off to the bar. And then all of a sudden when Harrington lights his lights, that match, like his world changes. Yeah. And you know, it's not necessarily because of the match, but you know, there could be a better like music sting. There could be a better, you know, it could be like, you know, uh, photographed uh better but i think you know there's a real opportunity there to make that more foreboding but yeah it is very dramatic because all of a sudden you know just like okay i guess this is happening now i'm gonna drop this beer and call my parents i i guess (laughs) i think about it uh if you're in a position where uh literally people around you are just disappearing and then nobody knows that they existed i guess you would probably react fairly poorly to that <laughs> i would definitely that that isn't that is a situation in which i would be clutching buildings yeah i i would too it, no props to uh to rod taylor i don't think he ever actually does <laughs> although apparently that was the style at the time you need to be you need to have a steely resolve to be an astronaut in the in 1959 uh, apparently so. And uh, now I know that over the course of the Twilight Zone, there's other, plenty of other stories where a character has died and they don't know it. Like the, um, there's the hitchhiker. I know that that's one. And I and I want to say that there's more, but I think this might be the only one where a character just just poof disappears. Oh, the hitchhiker's so good. I guess you can kind of put perchance to dream in that too, because he's dreaming that he's talking to the, to the doctor when he died two minutes after he walked into the office. That's true, but he is still there. Like he didn't just disappear. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story. I did think it, there, there's a scene where Rod Taylor's character uh, calls the general mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he's, he's trying to figure out what's going on and he says, you know, Harry, you know, you know, Ed Harrington, right. And, and literally starts screaming at him. Yeah. And, uh, much like in the, uh, in the, uh, episode a few weeks ago, when we were talking about, uh, our, our namesake time enough at last. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we said that, l- listen, it's sad that, that, uh, Henry Bemis broke his glasses, but he, <laughs> he's about three days away from just the most painful death. you can possibly <laughs> imagine. It's not going to uh, go good. So, so it's not like he's going to be suffering for that long. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, uh, if, if Rod, Rod Taylor's character doesn't disappear, he's going to be in a lot of trouble because he literally called a general at the middle of the night and was screaming at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, God knows who else he's going to like, you know, I mean, he, he'll probably be committed to a, to a mental institution. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's probably best for him that he just disappeared. May as well. Um, I, uh, so I don't know why I have, I have a little bit of difficulty understanding and maybe, maybe I do understand it. And that's, and that's the whole point that there's so many unanswered questions, but can, can I kind of recap this episode and you tell me if I have it correct? 
Sure. Ab- okay. Absolutely. Three, three astronauts go up into an experimental spacecraft. They, <laughs> the, uh, the spacecraft uh, disappears off the radar for 24 hours. Yes. They come back. They recover the spacecraft. They put the three astronauts in, in the hospital. <clears throat> um, two of them are good. Like one day they leave. One disappears. The other goes back to the third and says, hey, you remember Ed Harrington? He disappeared. You remember him, right? You remember him. And the third one doesn't remember him. Correct. They get into a screaming match over Harrington. The Rod Taylor runs out of the hospital and disappears. Right. Then the third one, I apologize. I don't remember his name. I, I don't know that he has a name. <laughs> he, um, the one that's been in the hospital all along, uh, runs to his door to see if he can catch uh, Rod Taylor um, and sees that Rod Taylor's gone, tells the nurse. The nurse says the third one was there alone all the time. And then in a flash, there's actually no one in the hospital. Correct. In and the hospital. I, just for the sake of, uh, of posterity, uh, uh, Rod Taylor's character is Lieutenant Colonel Clegg Forbes. Clegg, yes. I meant yeah. to say, I, I don't know how I how I forgot that because Clegg is like my uh, mother and uncle had uh, a friend they went to high school with named Bob Clegg. And I was like, oh, that's cool. His last name's Clegg too. Nope. First name is Clegg somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, it's, it's Rod Serling not being that creative. Well, I, actually, no, I'll take that back. <laughs> Clegg is an interesting first name. Uh, you know, it's not like he's, uh, uh, you know, in previous episodes, uh, Sterling might have named him, you know, George Disappearman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Steve Vanishing. Um, uh, so uh, the, the, the guy who's in the, in the hospital the whole time is a Major William Gart. Gart. And, uh, and then there's, uh, there's Colonel Ed Harrington. So those, those are the three American heroes that vanish. So I, so I have the TikTok correct of this. Yes. What, what are your theories as to what happens? I mean, I know that it's all left up to the imagination and it is just a big mystery, but did they ever exist? Um, did they get teleported back into the depths of space? What do you think happened? Um, I'm, I'm guessing they, they got teleported back into the depths of space. Um, but, uh, you know, as far, obviously, I, you know, it, it, it is an interesting question because, you know, like, how does, how does that happen? Like, what, what about flying 900 miles into space? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like, what's 900 miles away from here. Um, DC is like 700 miles from North Alabama. So. It's probably like, like me driving to Orlando from Chicago. <laughs> yeah. so, like, like what, what, what could possibly happen in that time to just make you disappear? Oh my gosh. Um, well, it, it's worth pointing out. So, uh, I had mentioned uh, previously that, uh, one of Serling's influences was a radio play called X minus one. Yeah. From uh, a little bit earlier in the fifties, actually just a, just a few years prior to that. And um, in that uh, series, there's a, an episode called The Outer Limit, which is about a single astronaut who flies a space plane up into space. Hence why it's called a space plane. 
<laughs> and uh, um, he ha- they, they, they keep saying he has 10 minutes of fuel. He has 10 minutes of fuel. And um, uh, he disappears off of radar for 11 hours. And oh, okay. And actually, he tells them that he got a message about the end of the world. And it's actually sort of the same idea as the day the Earth stood still. Okay. Uh, because of atomic weapons, these aliens have decided to intervene and, and everything like that. So it's, it's actually, I, I would imagine that it probably heavily influenced this episode because it's kind of the same idea that they, they disappear for a while and then, um, and then they come back only to disappear again. <laughs> um, <laughs> he probably didn't have time. He probably didn't have time to, uh, to work in the whole uh, nuclear weapons warning subplot and actually come up with costumes for aliens. So when yeah, he had I, a budget to work with, that's what he went with. <laughs> this is probably, um, you know, a new, a new category timing wise. You know, we talk about the, I mean, I guess there, there were, you know, some some of it could be shaved off, but there's just so much more story to tell, I think, in this in the story. And I think that's what's the most frustrating thing about it. And I don't think it's frustrating in a bad way. I think it's frustrating in a very good, you know, mysterious way that, yeah, you know, not provoking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my um, I think uh, above all else, my favorite uh, part of this episode are the <laughs> is the myriad dated um, terms. Uh mm-hmm. You know, in, in Serling's opening narration, he says, uh, you know, mystery or, or something isn't shrouded in tarpaulin, which sounds like a very 1959 it mat- does, yeah. material. <laughs> um, the, uh, Gart asks for a, a, a nice uh, a shot of orange aid. <laughs> and he says, if uh, it, it, this sounds exactly just taken from a directly from like a Dennis the Menace cartoon. Um if if I get another uh, shot in my puss, I'm gonna run away or something like that. To to refer to your mouth as your puss is uh, is very That's funny. Very 1950s. Um, smoking in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. A beer is thirty cents. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> and uh, Gart, I think, tells um, Clegg uh, when he's freaking out about Harrington. Boy, you really got off on a toot, huh? Yeah, that is. Uh... Yeah, that, that it, it's like a, a cavalcade of uh, of uh, it's it's a time capsule of fifties terminology. It's fantastic, fantastic. It's something that I will always remember from this episode. By the way, one thing that uh, uh, jumps out at me at the very end of the episode, after they've all disappeared, there's like a nurse and a doctor talking. In yeah, the, in the hallway, and the nurse says. Oh, there's this room down the hall. Uh, we can use that for the malaria patients that are coming in. There's, there's space for three people. You would think that would be it, but no. The they have to actually walk down the hall because you see, <laughs> look, they open the door and there's nothing in there. Why did they have to do that? What does he not trust the nurse <laughs> to know that there's nobody in that room? Why, why did they have to go through that extra step? I, that that bothered me. Maybe she's on thin ice and uh, she's lied about empty rooms before. It could be. See, see, that's uh, much like the rest of the story. We need a little bit more backstory. We need some character development on, on, on uh, this nurse. You know, Jordan Peele, since he's remaking uh, 
what not really remaking but reimagining the twilight zone i th- i think i could see that as like a twilight zone spin-off movie where it's this episode where they explain everything including that the, the backstory <laughs> of the nurse and why the doctor doesn't trust her that there's nobody in this in, in the room just 90 minutes on the nurse yeah and <laughs> out the room where it, nothing happens because there's nothing in it uh you know one question that does pop into my mind is, uh, you know, so this is, you know, 59, I, I believe, I believe the whole season uh, took place and, you know, w- was actually released in 1959. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's literally almost exactly the same time as uh, the, the Mercury seven is, you know, announced and, and actually starting to work on flying in space. Oh, do, do you think that, uh, I, I know that uh, Jim Lovell tells a story about uh, his wife watching the movie Marooned. You know, which is about a you know Apollo crew yeah. in space. Uh, do you think they they or their wives ever watched the Twilight Zone and were like, "Wow, maybe I need to rethink this whole flying in space." Thing. <laughs> you know, I I would be interested to see how um, how much of a damper the Twilight Zone put on recruiting for NASA for for NASA's astronaut program. Yeah. So, I, you know, usually a lot of times there's some sort of, uh, you know, morality to the story. I think that uh, uh, you should not listen to Casey Kasem. Uh, you, should, you should keep your feet planted on the ground, but not keep reaching for the star. No, never. Uh, next week, we get to uh, take a look at the, the episode, What You Need. And uh, it is very good, but I'm not going to say that it's one of my favorites. Same. Once upon a time, there was a man named Harrington, a man named Forbes, a man named Gart. They used to exist, but don't any longer. Someone or something took them somewhere. At least they are no longer a part of the memory of man. And as to the X-20 supposed to be housed here in this hangar, this too does not exist. And if any of you have any questions concerning an aircraft and three men who flew her, Speak softly of them, and only in the Twilight Zone. Gabatron?